In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever been in a situation where there are two different people who think they're in charge? I think most of us have at some point or another, right? I remember being in a kitchen once where two of my aunts each thought they were in charge of what was going on. And guess what happened? One came around and said, oh, just put a pinch of salt in that. And the next one came around and said, don't listen to her. Put in a lot of salt. And this went on throughout the whole cooking process, right? Constantly back and forth. Put celery in that soup. Followed by moments later, who likes celery? Who puts celery in the soup, right? This goes on and on all evening. What do you think happened to all of us kids who were helping, all of us teenagers? It got to be pretty stressful after a while, right? You can't make everybody happy all the time. How do you want to guess that the food turned out? Not as well as my grandmother would have made it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. God created humanity and gave them a purpose. The Bible is pretty clear that we were made for a reason and given a job. In popular culture, when we think of the Garden of Eden, it always seems to imply that Adam and Eve were left around to wander aimlessly through the garden with nothing to do. Almost that what transpired is sort of an idle hands as the devil's workshop situation. But it's not so. God left them with a job, to take care of the garden, to plant, to water, to till, to do all the things that we still have to do now with the garden. And God only left them with one rule. And the Lord God commanded the man and said, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you will die. I mean, that sounds simple enough, right? I tend to be a rule follower. And I mean... From my perspective, if there's only one rule to live by in life, what do you do? You never go anywhere near that other tree. You can never be tempted if, it's, if you're not near it, right? But we end up with the serpent saying to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The temptation here comes in the form of a talking serpent who had his own interests in mind and not what's good for Adam and Eve. I think we've all had those moments when someone who seemed trustworthy, someone who seemed to be saying the right thing, led us into doing something we knew we shouldn't have done. We give in to temptation. And now we look to deflect the blame. And speaking of deflecting blame, I want to point out something else that's here, a very popular misconception from popular culture, one that I even heard preachers make. The Bible says this, And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. He was not by herself when this temptation took place. This is not a situation where she was by herself, she went then and had to track down and trick Adam into taking a bite. This is not a situation where Adam wandered up in the, at the end of the conversation and asked what was going on. No, they were together. Adam was with Eve when this happened. And notice that Adam never contradicted, never said anything about what the serpent said. And they both, both partook. This is not a failing of one, this is a failing of both. And it says this, And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And in the end, what happened? Paradise was lost. 
Books have been written about that. But the world was broken. And the Bible says at various points that sin and death, both spiritual and physical, enter the world through these moments of disobedience. And they run away and go and hide, ashamed of what they've done. David writes, Happier they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is put away. But the good news is that God will forgive our sins. God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, and it changed humanity's relationship with God. But God's love's great. David understands this. David here is describing a situation where he's done something wrong. And it even looks like it may have been something he got away with. David writes, While I held my tongue, my bones withered away because of my groaning all day long. For your hand was heavy upon me day and night. My moisture was dried up as in the heat of the summer. Today we'd say that David's conscience is working on him, that he felt guilty. David is saying that while he tried to hide it, he felt sick. Maybe he was sick. We don't know. What I do know is this. I feel this way sometimes. Like something's eating at me from inside when I've gotten away with it. That all I could think about was what I'd done. And David comes to the realization that if I confess my transgressions to the Lord, then you will forgive me the guilt of my sin. He knows that if he goes to God and seeks forgiveness, God will forgive him. God will be his refuge in times of trouble. God left us instructions on how to live. And David knows all of these things. Yet he still has to remind himself about it from time to time. He writes, Great are the tribulations of the wicked, but mercy embraces those who trust in the Lord. David makes mistakes, but he knows that when he does, he doesn't, he, if he doesn't seek out forgiveness, things are going to be worse. David lives through these tribulations brought about by his own actions, by his own lust, his own greed, his own selfishness. But David also knows that God's there and God loves him, and his mercy is extended when he asks. In our gospel this morning we read, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus is in the wilderness in our gospel today. This is right before the start of his public ministry. The next chapter, we get the, sermon, we get the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where we've been the last few weeks. People sometimes say about spiritual times that they had a wilderness experience, like going out in the wilderness was a punishment. It's not. Jesus went out to pray and fast before he began his ministry. And now he's being tempted in manners that we're all tempted in from time to time. He's in the wilderness, it says, for 40 days and night. 40 days, just like Moses was on the mountain for 40 days two weeks last week as he prepared to receive the law. 40 days like Noah was in the ark. 40 days like Elijah spent waiting for God to tell him what to do next. And after that period of waiting, Jesus hears, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now he's being tempted to do things, and here Jesus is being some, tempted to do something he's going to do more than once in his ministry, right? More than once in his ministry, Jesus takes a small amount of food, what they can gather together, right? Five barley loaves and two fishes and feeds thousands. But I think Jesus here is being tempted to use power for his own convenience. Jesus, you don't need to do what everyone else is doing. You're God's son. You're special. Just make bread when you're hungry. And Jesus responds, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And it said again, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they'll bear you up. And so you'll not dash your foot against a stone. And Satan, having heard Deuteronomy quoted against him the first time, decides to quote the Psalms back to Jesus. And Jesus says to him again, and it's written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan then offers Jesus what he actually has. He says, listen, I'll give you all of this if you'll fall down and worship me. Jesus, he's saying, we can end this game now. Worship me and I'll hand the keys of the kingdom over to you, the keys of the world that your father gave to me. We can stop this charade. We can call it a day and you can fulfill your mission and start your kingdom without any other troubles. And how does Jesus respond? Away with you, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The thing that Satan's offering here, food, protection, leadership, are not in their face wrong. There's nothing wrong with eating. Feeling safe can be a great comfort. And in some things, someone has to lead, right? I mean, otherwise you get ruined food in the kitchen. But Satan was offering a way that puts using power and comfort over what Jesus knew he had to do. Paul writes, Therefore sin came into the world through one man, and death came in through sin, and so death spread to all because of sin. Because of what we saw happen in our Old Testament lesson, that phrase that we love to sing at Christmas, long lay the world in sin and error pining, until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. What happened in the garden that day affects each of us today. It affects each of us differently. Each of us has different things we're tempted by. Our body gets sick and breaks down in different ways. But in the end, it ends the same for each of us in death. But we have hope. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more surely has the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded by the many. Paul writes that yes, through the actions in the garden, sin entered. But through Jesus' actions, one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Think that Jesus faced the same choices that many of us do. Do we make a choice based on what's easy for us? I mean, it's easy to use power and influence to get what we want. It's easy and safe to lock ourselves in our rooms and in our houses and watch the news and decry the state of the world today, to live in fear and cast blame on our neighbors. And it's easy sometimes to want someone to use their power for our benefit and in the midst of it forgive to love our neighbors as ourselves. Forty. Forty is also the day of the number of Lent. As Christians, we read and participate in Jesus' ministry during Lent and follow his path to the cross. During this season, ask yourself, am I ready? Am I ready to accept that sometimes I give in to temptation? Am I ready to love my neighbor? And am I ready to move even closer to Jesus? Amen.